Welcome to Books and Beyond with your host, Alison. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations and beyond. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. I know this girl and she works in a library, yeah, standing there behind the counter. No my hara my kiara and welcome to Books and Beyond Literary Lounge with Alison and Inika, brought to you from our home studios. Kia ora Inika. Kia ora Alison, how are you? Oh look, I'm pretty good there, we're getting there. Look, this is our final home broadcast of the year and what a year it's been, huh? Um, I think, <laughs> do you know, I think books and people are, are what have got me through this year um, and of course coffee and cardamom buns with you Inika. Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, we're really getting to the, the pointy end of the end of the year now. So it's the, um, it's the sweary, it's the teary vibes. It's, you know, it's all yeah. a big mess at this well, point. We're ready for the holidays. We sure are. The wheels are just about falling off. So, <laughs> well, look, there's been some super interesting data that's just come out of the UK. And it's about um, people's reading habits during the turmoil and, and trauma of 2021. And these figures have come out from Overdrive, which, um, as you know, is the platform that provides ebook access to, to most of the UK's library. So, on this list, the absolute surprise out Liar is a book from 2017 by Ellery Adams called The Secret Book and Scone Society. And this was the fourth most borrowed e-book from UK public libraries in 2021. Now, look, it was more popular than um, the Booker Prize winner Shruggy Bain by Douglas Stewart. It was more popular than Lee Child's latest, um, but it did come in behind Richard Osman's The Thursday Murder Club. Um, oh, yeah. That was a big one, wasn't it? Yeah, that that was a real um, performer. Um, Clara in the Sun by Ka- Kazuo Ishiguro mm. and, of course, Matt Haig's The Midnight Library, but um, incredibly popular. Now, the, this book, The Secret Book and Scone Society, it's set in a town called Miracle Springs in North Carolina. And it's about a bookseller called Nora who prescribes the perfect novel to ease a person's deepest pain. So in other words, she's a, a bibliotherapist. Mm. Um, now, Nora herself is recovering from severe trauma and injuries that she received in a car accident a few years ago. And so you can really tell that her bibliotherapy work is a way for her to continue her own healing. Um, And everything is going swimmingly well until one of her customers is found murdered. So cue a a whole bunch of amateur sleuthing by members of her book club. (laughs) And we've got the makings of a cosy mystery. So I really call this book cosy metafiction. Yeah, I think you're, but, you're right there. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, the question I had was, why would a cosy book of fiction from 2017 be one of the most popular books of 2021? You know, when we're absolutely awash with fantastic new reading choices. Yeah, I think that, you know, that healing power of books must have really resonated with the UK. I know that there are... Um, 
their book sales and book borrowing went through the roof um, during their lockdowns and they've had a real resurgence. So, um, yeah, must be the comfort that that book brought. Yeah, I think it really is. And it reminded me of that quote by Franz Kafka um, where he said that a book must be an ice axe to break the seas frozen inside our soul. Um, (laughs) But, yeah... That's a 2021 quote of ever I heard. That's right. And no one wants a frozen soul. So, um, look, I tell you what, books have been my tonic in 2021. And I haven't even had had to add much in the way of gin. So, um, Should we make it a frozen gin and tonic, Alison? Oh, yes. (laughs) For ourselves. Yeah. So, look, I've got the secret um, Book and Scone Society on my Christmas reading list. So I'm telling the family now I'm tapping out on Boxing Day and I'm reading. <laughs> Good <laughs> so they're plan. Gonna have to, Good they're plan. Put up with it. Yeah. Well, I am the first book on my list for today, Alison, is um, is one of our top 100 um, books for um, 2021. So if you haven't heard of the top 100, it is um, a curated book list um, chosen by our librarians and there's 10 different categories. And um, I do encourage you to go onto our Auckland Libraries website and have a little explore of that. Um, so the pick that I have chosen today is What Strange Paradise by Omar Al-Akkad, which was published in 2021 and it appears in our um, top 100 now which category I haven't even written that down you'll have to go and find out yes it is I'm just looking at it and I can't find it it is on there <laughs> it's definitely on there go and have oh, fun finding it that's right. it's on the book clubs one the, uh, the top <gasps> 10 from our book clubs well that makes that's sense right. Yeah. Yes. Well, my two books for today have they've got some similarities actually. Both of them feature kids and teens who are at the mercy of adult decision making, um, against forces largely outside their control, but they're they're all still fighting really hard to change the world that they are in as best they can. So in What Strange Paradise, we're following Amir, who's nine years old. He's Syrian. Um, he and his family have been hustled over borders as refugees, um, and they've made, managed to make it to Cairo. And then half by mistake, he ends up on a dilapidated ship that's smuggling desperate people from all over the Middle East and, and um, Northern Africa mostly as well, um, on course to a distant shore on an unnamed Greek island. They don't really know where, they, where they're going to land up. We think it's Kos. That's what it sounds like from the description and from from what we know from um, reading the news. Now, we also have Vana, um, and she's 15. She's always lived on this Greek island, but her mother was born elsewhere. So Vana's kind of native and a foreigner as well. Now, Vana's getting to the point that most teenagers get to, where they can't really put up with their parents' bourgeois <laughs> attitudes anymore. Yeah. And um, also, you know, the beauty of their life on the island is really starting to fade because they've got this geopolitical and humanitarian disaster that's unfolding right on the shores. Yep. So when the ship that Amir is on goes down in a storm and the refugees are all washed up onto this private beach of a tourist resort on, let's call it cost because I think it is cost. Um, Amir is actually their only survivor. 
police and emergency teams um, kind of make it to the scene. They're kind of dispassionately clearing the scene of the bodies yet again. So it's becoming this kind of regular and almost mundane occurrence, which is terrible to think of. Um, now, Amir comes to and he sees the uniforms and he manages to kind of flee the scene, um, mostly unnoticed, I think. And thank goodness he manages to bump into um, Vana, our warm-hearted, rebellious and mutinous teenager. Now, the book's structured as two chronological stories, and it's interspersed, sort of one chapter of each um, going back and forth. So we have Before, which is Amir's life from the day he ends up on the ship until he's found washed up onto the beach, and then After tracks his story from that point onwards. Now, I don't want to spoil anything, and to be honest, I'm not sure if I'm on onto something here, or maybe I'm on a wild literary ghost chase chase of my own devising, but um, the last pages did leave me wondering about the before and the after and also the in-between. I do need to go back and read it over again carefully or maybe get you to see what you reckon, Alison. Yeah, was, um, because I've, I've got a copy of it too and I'm planning to read it. Grand, so yeah, I love to, to follow up. notes with you. Mm. Yeah. Now, this book was another of our one-inch power punches of a short novel, mm. perfect for this end of the year, um, only 180 pages. It's got tension and tenderness. Um, these two kids, they've got no language in common, but they've both got a common interest in trying to keep Amir from the authorities for one reason or another. Ivana is really ready to turn her own life upside down. She wants to give it a shake and sort of try and make sense of how everything lands. Amir becomes her chance to try being a grown-up and also a hero. So Amir is grateful, but he also just wants a safe home, really, and to be reunited with his mum, who he was separated from. Now, the author Omar Al-Akkad is Egyptian-born. He immigrated to Canada as an adult, and he was a celebrated journalist. He was covering wars and human rights issues right across the world. He's the author of American War, which is a dystopian near-future novel about a second civil war based around climate change and the use of fossil fuels. He's got this first-hand experience from his his prior um, work, and that comes out in devastating effect, really. You can see he's got this diverse cast of characters. He's got these really careful plot setups to show all those motivations and feelings that we can have around leaving one place and seeking another, you know, whether we know what's on the other side or not, you know, around how we decide to help some people and not others, whether we decide to go in all guns blazing or to look away or even actively make life a lot harder for those people. So a fascinating little read, really mm-hmm. powerful for a very short book. Um, I mean, in a completely trivial aside, it's totally mm-hmm. aesthetic. The edition I had was a hardcover, but like a little paperback size, so purse size, which is basically my dream always. <laughs> oh, it is, isn't it? Mine too. Yes, yeah. it is. Um, it has a beautiful sunset on the cover, and it looked so good sticking out of my yellow purse. It is just the little things right now, Alison, <laughs> that make me happy. And I have to tell you, I have been coveting, coveting your yellow purse I do like it. It's a very attractive thing. Yeah, yellow is so hot right now. Oh, is it? Oh, thanks for doing (laughs) it. No wonder it looks so good. Well, look, I've been reading something that's um, also in our top 100 uh, this year, and it's in the list of the books in translation. And um, sort of there's some similarities to the book you've just been talking Mm -hmm. about. Um, Probably when we talk about 
displacement of peoples. And so this is a book called Voices of the Lost by Hoda Barakat. Now, um, Hoda Barakat, the author, was born in Beirut in the 1950s and she studied at the Lebanese University before moving to France where she's pretty much lived ever since her student days. And um, she's been shortlisted at one stage for the Man Booker International Prize. She's a um, very well-regarded author. Um, and Voices of the Lost was first published in Arabic. And this English edition has been translated by a well-known uh, translator, Marilyn Booth. So, now, this is a, a short book as well, which is what we like um, at this time of year. Um, nice and short. It's only about 190 pages, I think. So that's perfect size. So we've got six letter. It's a set of six letters, all written by six strangers. And um, the, the letters are basically a chain of dark confessions. Um, and none of these letters actually reach their intended recipient. So um, the, the letters and the, the subject matter, it's profound, quite disturbing at times. But the book tells the story of characters who are living on the periphery, um, battling with devastating poverty and fighting demons of their own and, and others. Um, now, the book is set in a, a country that's unnamed. Um, we can perhaps have a... a uh, imagine, you know, what country it might be. But um, this unnamed country is torn apart by war. Um, and the six characters who write the letters are all um, feel compelled to share their most personal secrets. So basically, you know, this, we come back to one of the most defining issues of our age, and that's migration conflict and exploitation and they're all sort of wrapped up in each other mm. so um Hoda Barakat, the author she's regarded as one of the most talented arabic writers of the present day and um her books often ask the reader to consider whether in this world where we're so almost oppressively connected mm -hmm. are we in fact drifting further and further apart from each other and you know from what's important so i haven't quite finished the book i'm really enjoying it um as i say it's nice and short and each letter is, is so fascinating and thought-provoking and um, I was thinking about the, the style of book. This is the second um, epistolary book that we've talked about recently. We were um, talking about Daddy Longlegs by Jean Webster, mm -hmm. published in 1912. That was just a few episodes ago. So, I mean, I guess it's a writing tech that's been, um, technique that's been around forever. And um, it never really seems to go out of style. Mm. So I think these um, books are still epistolary if they're written about emails. What do you think? It's an interesting topic for another very, time. Yes, that's a very, very good, um, good <laughs> I would have thought so, but maybe epistles, maybe there's a different word. We'll have to go to our dictionaries. <laughs> yes, maybe that. Now I might do some homework over the <laughs> summer break. Yeah, I'm glad <laughs> I've got that in the, in the mix for you. Now, speaking of homework, that allows me to segue into a book about this amazing teacher. So let's um, have a look. So this is also in our 
top 100. Um, it's in the fiction um, top 10, top 10 fiction books. And it's called Project Hail Mary by um, that great writer called Andy Weir. Mm. Who, he's an American chap from um, California. So this is his latest book, and um, it's a page-turning interstellar thrill ride you know what i'm saying it's a sci-fi masterpiece and that's pretty high praise from me that's (laughs) true yes that is so listen up peeps yeah oh man i haven't finished it but i am just loving every sentence so we've got it starts off there's a terrible situation that's befallen the world. The sun is dying. Um, it's dying abruptly and rapidly. And within decades, humanity is going to be wiped out. So the survival of our species relies on a lone astronaut who is very, very far away from home. He does At first, he doesn't quite even know where he is. Now, this astronaut, our main character, is a chap called Ryland Grace. And he's a high school teacher turned reluctant astronaut who's becomes finds himself at the centre of a desperate mission to save humankind from this looming extinction event. Now, Ryland Grace was um, his backstory in the book is that he was once a really promising molecular biologist, okay. and he'd authored a controversial academic paper that um, contested the assumption that. All life required water, um, so he was. He reckoned that he disproved that that life didn't need water to survive. So he's been disgraced by the scientific community, and he then finds work as a science teacher in San Francisco. Um, but these previous theories, very controversial ones, have actually make him the perfect researcher for a multinational task force that's trying to understand how and why the sun is suddenly dimming at this alarming rate. Um, So he gets headhunted by um, some sort of, um, what would you call them? Um, Think tank? A think tank, yes. That's. I was just going to say it's something like NASA, but it's a bit like the FBI and the CIA. And yes, NASA. it's not a war room. <laughs> yes, it's like a war room. Task force. Yeah. And um, so what they've discovered, um, we're hurtling towards this instant ice age, um, but all stars in proximity to our sun seem to be suffering with the same affliction, except for one star that's called Tau Ceti. And um, so Ryland um, is quite unwilling, but he um, is basically forced to become an astronaut, um, to head to Tau Ceti. Hopefully he'll find the answer um, and save the world. So it's really quite fabulous. Um, Time's running out for humankind. He discovers an alien spacecraft in the vicinity of his own ship and um, with a, a strange alien traveller who's on a similar quest. Oh, fascinating. Well, this is so good and it's so unlike me to enjoy a book like this. You've it's changed, um, Alison. Yeah. You've really changed. I have. What's come <laughs> over me? It's 2021. It's done it to me. Look, I think that 
um, this it's such an emotionally intense and sort of profound and scientifically sound novel that I think a lot of readers are going to find themselves just staying up all night and reading until their eyes bleed. You know, that's the, the kind of book this is. I'm so enjoying it. And I think it would make a really great gift for someone in your life who might be a bit nerdy, maybe a bit into sci-fi. Um, and I never really like to gender books, but this one, I would say, appeal, will appeal to men, particularly, and women, um, as opposed to, you know, say, chiclet, which usually appeals to... sure those who identify as female but um look a great gift but a fabulous read oh i'm just into sci-fi now Enika. oh that is awesome well my screen has decided to throw my script off but i'm going to start talking anyway while i go and find it I think, you know what, I think that book might appear under my Christmas tree, Alison. Um, I may have found a copy in the op shop, and I think I'm safe to say, because my son doesn't listen to this podcast, oh, of course right. he doesn't, um, yes. that it may be appearing under um, our Christmas tree. So I'm oh. going to schnaffle that back <laughs> pretty soon after it gets unwrapped and read. Yes, I think you'll like it. Now, totally I have to say... Me too, that there is a young man in my life who is going to find this under his Christmas tree too. And I'm pretty sure he doesn't listen to to us very oh, often. It's quite a good thing really, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> listeners, think, don't tell these young men, will you? <laughs> yeah. But he does think we're quite cool, but I think we're not re- we're not usually in his diary, put it that way. <laughs> oh, fair yeah. enough. They've got other things going on. Okay, <laughs> I'm ready and I'm back. My oh, next good. book <laughs> is that I would love to tell you about is um, a homegrown um, book released in 2021 called In Our Own Backyard by um, author Anne Kays. Now, this is a, um, it's available in our teen fiction section and Anne Kays Previous writing has been um, in our children's fiction section. She's a, the author of um, a series of books called The Tui Street Tales. But in this book, um, in our own backyard, um, she has set the book right here in our own backyard of Tamaki Makoto, Auckland. So this is a fictionalized account of the 1981 Str- Springbok tour as experienced by a 15-year-old girl, Eliza, or Liza. Um, She's looking back at her own experiences of the time from the shifting sands of the March 2020 lockdown, which, of course, is popping up in books all over the place and all over the world. Now, she is a freelance uh, journalist, and she now has her own two teenagers of her own. And um, while she's at home pretty much on pasture leave um, due to COVID, she decides to record her memories of the time. Now, the core storyline in in our own backyard covers the debate and the build-up and then the escalating protests and clashes as the Springboks arrive in the country and begin their tour. And it's all from Liza's perspective, um, with her family and her circle of friends all kind of involved to a greater or lesser degree. Now, she's um, probably quite a bit closer to the action than some of her classmates. Um, Her dad's an on-the-ground reporter. He's covering the tour. And her best friend's parents and their friends are all part of HEART, um, Hold Mm. All Races Tours, Mm. um, which was an activist group um, working in that time. Actually, they started earlier in the... um, earlier before this one, yeah, 1970, I think it was. Um, 
Now, they, um, they are involved in documenting the current protests and also particularly incidents of police violence or heavy-handedness. And they're adding them to a secret archive along with the photographs that they've been taking um, prior during the Bastion Point occupation and reclamation. Um, well, when I say reclamation, I do mean reclamation by the um, occupiers, by the way. Mm. <laughs> I should make that clear. Yeah. And um, her brother's actually a rugby fan who's sort of on the fence about the process, so he provides a bit of balance in the book. Mm. Um, along with the main storyline, you've got a couple of interesting subplots which add a bit more context for um, teenagers. Um, the first is um, kind of around first-hand racism, which is experienced by her Samoan and Maori friends and their whānau and um, Ainga. And the second looks at her first um, real romantic relationship with a young man who turns out to have um, some jealousy and control issues coming from sort of some troubled uh, stuff going on at his own home. And that's paralleled by her English class studying the taming of the shrew, which is kind of a nice writerly touch. Mm. There's quite actually quite a lot going on in this novel, apart from the Springboks um, tour. Um, But in case, I think she's done a really good job of weaving all those threads together and keeping the interest up for what's actually going to happen next in the various plots, I would say. Now, it's a really powerful read. It's packed with authentic um, scenes. Um, she's clearly done heaps of primary and secondary um, res- research um, and, and used lots of wonderful resources. You get a really clear view from the front line and from the sidelines and on either side of the debate. But as you would kind of assume or hope, um, it is biased in favour of the protesters' um, views. Um, it depicts a society divided and and that, you know, I found that a really a timely read at the moment. It's got a really well presented and relevant message for today's readers. Um, probably best for readers aged 13 plus, I would say. There's a bit of pashing and a bit of heavy petting. I don't know if that's still a term anyone uses. Yeah, um, no. Yeah, <laughs> it's one of those ones. Yeah, yeah that parents and grandparents will probably enjoy um, reading alongside their kids. You know, they could say, "I was there," or "I remember seeing that on the tally." Uh, to be clear, Alison, I am talking about the Springbok <laughs> tour protest, not the heavy petting. Right. Beauty mind. Oh my goodness. Yeah, now, <laughs> it's, it's that time of year, isn't it? <laughs> now, we've got the new history curriculum rolling out in schools from next year. So I predict we're going to be seeing a lot more fiction based on New Zealand history. And, of course, actual history books for kids coming onto our shelves to join the wonderful one, um, books that are already there. So I reckon you should pick this one up. It really looks great, and what an important, an important book, you know, about an important topic. Yeah, so that's yeah, that's a great one. Well, look, I don't know how I can top that, but I might be able to um, with my next one, which is also from our top one hundred for this year, um, and this is from our section that we call Own Voice. Um, now, this book is called Milk Fed by um, a writer called Melissa Broder. Now, I tell you what, this one grabbed me on page one and did not let me go. I do have to say, though, there's a bit of a content warning here. It has material about disordered eating and also the disordered thinking that goes hand in hand with that Mm. particular illness. So I do think anyone reading this book needs to make sure that they're in a fairly good space. Fair enough. Or, Or make sure that you've got support around you. But, oh, man, what a powerful book. So let's tell a story or a bit of the story of Milk Fed. Our main character Rachel is 24 and she's a woman who's rejected her family's Jewish religion although she still feels Jewish and um, she's actually made a religion of 
calorie restriction mm. and as well as her religion, it's her obsession. Now, she, Rachel lives and works in LA. She's works in, it's kind of a Hollywood adjacent industry, but probably like most of people who work in LA. Mm. So, and during the day, she maintains an illusion of control by way of her obsessive food rituals. And at night, she pedals for hours and hours on her elliptical machine, making sure that she uses up all her daily calories, plus more. Mm. Um, and she's, Rachel's lonely, she's sad, but the illusion that she has of control over her body is the thing that keeps her going. Oh, and of course, she has regular trips to her therapist as well. Um, now, you really get the feel of LA in this book, and I guess America in general, where there is basically junk food for sale on every corner. Um, but then you've got this huge industry of the low-fat, zero sugar, supersized, mass-produced junk food, which is also for sale everywhere. And just the way these two things just fuel the weight loss and weight gain industry. Good thing. Yeah. So Rachel meets Miriam, um, a fascinating character, a young Orthodox Jewish woman who is intent on feeding and nurturing her. Mm. And Miriam's family own a chain of frozen yogurt stores. And so Rachel finds herself powerfully entranced by Miriam, by her generous gifts of yogurt sundaes, her body, her faith, her family. And the two grow very close. So Rachel then embarks on a journey marked by mirrors, mysticism, mothers, milk and honey. Mm. So this is a tale of appetites. It's a tale of physical hunger, sexual desire, spiritual longing. And it's a tale of our times too. You know, the more connected we are, we're more connected than ever, but we're lonelier and we're hungrier for real connection. And so we're constantly soothing ourselves with junk food and, and mass media. Now, look, I honestly couldn't put this book down. I was drawn into it, but there were parts of it that made me quite uncomfortable. Um, yeah, uh, quite challenging. One mm. of my younger friends actually said, she read it and she said, the book's kind of weird and horny at the same time. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I know what she means by this. Well, I have to say, if two years of rolling lockdowns across the world have taught us anything, weird and horny is a complete vibe for now. Look at succession. Yeah, absolutely. Look, it could be a whole new subgenre. So, look, on that note, it's such a brave book, but um, the author has made herself quite, quite vulnerable. But I think she's a really important voice, and there'll be many people that relate to the story. Mm. So, to our listeners, thank you for everything this year. Take care, have a great holiday, look after yourselves, and happy reading. 